0: Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we are this morning for the sake of our guests. Uh, my name is Jeremy. It's a delight to welcome you here this morning. Um, on behalf of our pastoral team, we're just thankful that you're with us. We are in the middle of a series going through Ezra and Nehemiah. And um, I'm so grateful for our new city catechism this morning uh, that instructs our hearts how to respond to the reading of the Word God is giving His people a new beginning in this narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah. God's people who were once exiled because of their sin, they were exiled to Babylon, but now they are back in Jerusalem. And they are in the process of rebuilding the broken down walls of the city. And this was God's mighty doing. He was doing the work. He was using them, but He had corralled them. And he was mobilizing his people in a common mission to do God's work of rebuilding the wall. This was a huge undertaking. It was was not a task that could be handled by, by just people doing the work. It was a huge undertaking. And the people at times grew tired and weary and didn't think that the completion Could happen. And as we pick up the narrative here in chapter six this morning, the wall is getting close to completion. So it's getting close. And as it's getting close, the enemies of Israel are getting very, very nervous. The mighty gates and the doors of the wall have not yet been hung. So that still is leaving Jerusalem susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. And as as the walls are closing up and as the gates and the doors are about to be hung, their enemies are really scared. And they're using all kinds of tactics to put fear in their hearts. We'll see that this morning. I want to reference the map. We used this map a few weeks ago um, of all of the enemies around Israel. You see to the north... In Samaria, Sanballat. That's a guy that we'll hear about again this morning. He was governor of Samaria. To the east, the Ammonites. Tobiah was from a leading family. To the west, the Ashdodites. The, the little city circled in blue there. Ashdod is, uh, is this city that had real power. And it was the city of the Philistines. And then to the south, the Arabs. Their chief leader was named Geshem. And again, as we pray uh, for the conflict going on in Israel. We see that Israel has been the seat of conflict, not just in 2023, but for a long, long time. There are enemies surrounding these people. So we, we need to pray. We need to pray that God would, would care for uh, Israel and that God God would guard them and help them. And even here, we see that God was doing something And the enemies of God's people didn't like what they saw. So we're going to see fear tactics. We're going to see scare tactics. We're going to see intimidation. We're going to see lies, outright lies. We're going to see deception in this chapter. Uh, Their enemies are pulling out all the stops to try to stop the work of rebuilding the wall. Let's read now, Nehemiah 6. As I read, I remind us together, these aren't the words of just some mere man. These are the holy, inspired, perfect words of God. And they're given for our benefit this morning. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem came to me, sent to me, excuse me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafrim, In the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, again, this is Nehemiah speaking, and I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand, And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So, now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying... No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabal, who was confined to his house, he said... Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should a man such as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because... Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. The deception continues. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elol in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah the son of Era, And his son Jehonan had taken daughter Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Notice this last sentence of the chapter. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Lord, this morning we we confess together because we believe that your word is given for instruction and reproof and training in righteousness. We believe that you have preserved this account so that we might be instructed by it this morning. Lord, we see fear and deception and all kinds of things over this account. And we also see how you helped your servant, Nehemiah, to respond to. To those things. And so, Lord, teach us. Teach us by your word how we too can respond to fear, to words that are spoken to intend to harm us, to lead us to stop the work of God. And Lord, please give us courage and strength and and anoint our ears, as Chris was saying, with listening with hearts that want to be instructed because this is your word. And help my lips to speak the words that are right for your word. I pray this and we depend on you together. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Doing God's work, dear friends, doing God's work will be met with opposition. You know this to be true, but this story stands as testimony to that fact. As the people of God take steps in faith and belief in God to do the work of building his kingdom, there will be opposition. It's guaranteed. While we don't want opposition, we're not going around looking for opposition. When we're doing the work of God, we will experience opposition we shouldn't be surprised at that either Jesus told his disciples in the upper room right before he went uh, to experience the greatest opposition that has ever been experienced in the history of the world when he died on the cross right before that he said to his disciples this in this world you will have tribulation Doing God's work, when God's people rally together to do God's work, there will be opposition. The enemies of God's kingdom are myriad. They know that there is a way that that they can possibly deter us from the work through opposition of many forms. It can come by speaking lies and slander, as we see here, by intimidation. It can come by false accusations It can come by outright deception. All of those things are in our text this morning. See, Jerusalem was being rebuilt, and the enemies of Jerusalem did not want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Why? Because the walls had been broken down. They could go and do whatever they wanted in Jerusalem. And now, as Jerusalem was becoming strong. They were beginning to fear Jerusalem. They did not want this city to be back standing on its legs before God. They wanted it to continue to be broken down. They didn't want the work of God to go forward. So they used opposition of all kinds. And fear is a central factor in this chapter. Even the very last verse, we just read it. And Tobiah sent letters to make me, what? Afraid. See, Tobiah and Sanballat and all these guys, they knew something about the power of fear. That the power of fear can, can neutralize us, can cause us to take the car out of drive when we're doing the work of God and just kind of shift it into neutral. Or maybe even into reverse if the fear is bad enough. And especially when we're seeking to build the kingdom of God, when we're seeking to do God's work, there will be opposition. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take time to review the text, um, help us see a little bit more of the ways that, that fear was at work, and then we're going to turn the corner, and then we're going to ask the question, how do we fight fear when it comes? How do we fight it by faith? Because there are answers embedded right here in this passage. So we're going to take a look and review again what's happening. It begins with our old friend Sanballat. In verse 2, he and the guy, uh, his name's Geshem, they they send a letter to Nehemiah. Nehemiah and the crew are working hard on finishing up the building of the walls. And so they say, hey, come on, you know, let's meet together in this plain. By the way, it's a deserted place. It would take a long time to travel there. So they're just looking to distract Nehemiah. In fact, it goes beyond that. It says in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, but they intended to do me harm. So they send this letter and say, hey, you're know, you coming into a new reality. Let's talk together. Only because they intend, it doesn't describe how they intend to do him harm, but they intend to do him harm. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, no, I'm, I'm doing an important work here. We're building the wall. I'm not going to stop the work of, that God has called me to do here to come down and meet with you. So that was his faith-filled response. How do they respond to that? Well, they send three more letters saying the same thing again. Hey, come on, let's meet. Come on, let's meet. Come on, let's meet. Three times. He responds the same way three times. Well, notice what Sam Ballot does. He is a crafty one. He concocts an open letter. What does it mean when it says this is an open letter? Well, usually when you sent news by way of a governor or a king, you know, the king's seal or the governor's seal is on that thing. This is, this is not public information. What he's saying here in verse five is now this is this is, in the fifth attempt, this is an open letter, which meant that other people received it as well. And this just ratcheted up the fear and intimidation on a number of levels. Let me, let me, let's think about this for a moment. How would an open letter describing now these things uh, cause fear and intimidation among the Jews? Well, look again what he wrote. Verse 6. In it, this open letter was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. According to these reports, you wish to become their king. You've set up prophets to t- say that. There's a king in Judah. And uh, by the way, the king isn't going to like this as well, the king of the Persian Empire. So what's happening here with this open letter is there is fear being sowed, um, by these letters going out, this open letter, among the Jews, because the Jews might be suspicious now of Nehemiah. Oh, I thought you were just helping us rebuild the wall, Nehemiah. You actually want to be our king? You want to be our ruler? You want to rule over us? Like, yeah, we can follow you building the wall, but you're no king. You're not our king. So there was temptation there. There was temptation from the enemies outside because as they hear about this, they're going to get more and more eager to do in the people of Jerusalem, which will only add to the fear. And then finally, this this would intend to inflict intimidation from King Artaxerxes. Remember chapter 1, uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to this king, and he asked the king if he could go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And Samballot knows that. And so he's saying, hey, do you think this is going to go well to the king of the Persian Empire who financed this mission project in the first place? He's going to say, I don't want you to be king. I don't want you to rebel against me. And the king himself is going to come in and squash you. All these fear tactics being used by the enemy to squash Nehemiah and squash the work of the wall. Notice again how Nehemiah responds in verse 8. He says... No such things as you say have been done. He just denies them. No such things have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Verse 8 also says, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. So they're thinking, hey, if we can intimidate Nehemiah, if we can intimidate the leader, then his hands are going to grow weary. He's going to shrink back from doing this. If we can get to the leader, then we, can, then we can destroy this whole work. Well, not to be deterred, because clearly Nehemiah doesn't respond to them. He says, you're fabricating this whole thing. The threats go on. Nehemiah's enemies take now a different tact, which is where we see this dude named Shemaiah enter the scene. Verse 10, he introduces us to Shemaiah who was perhaps... Uh, We don't don't know, or the history books aren't absolutely certain, but perhaps Shemiah was a priest back in those days, which could be in part why he invited Nehemiah to come and take shelter from all these scary things, these threats, to come and take shelter in the temple. We don't know why. It doesn't tell us why he was confined to his home, but something about this man smells fishy from the start. So he offers for Nehemiah to take shelter in the temple, which on the face of things sounds like a great offer. You know, when when you're afraid, what are we to do? We're to take comfort in the Lord. And so in one sense, it seems that's what he's asking him. But Nehemiah's response, again, shows his faith in the Lord. He says, Should such a man as I run away... And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. What does it say then after that? Let's look at verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So this guy was a hired gun. If he was a priest, he was a sellout priest. He was not being faithful to his call. He was working now for the enemy. He intended to do him harm. This was a false prophecy and Nehemiah had the grace of God upon him to be able to see it. And you see in verse 14, uh, Nehemiah prays, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. They're trying to deceive me. They're trying to hunt me down. They're trying to kill me. They're using even priests to do it. Lord, I need your help. Oh God, remember, bring justice in the way that only you can bring justice to this situation. His, his response also suggests that seeking refuge in the temple would not only, that would not only have been a cowardly thing to do, but a sinful thing to do. Cowering in fear when God had made promises to his people so he turns to prayer in chapter in verse 14 and entrusts himself to the lord now verse 15 through 19 what's happening here the the wall amazingly this is astounding the wall was finished in, on the 25th day of the month of elo uh, in 52 days in total so this this immense work the rebuilding of the entire wall around the city took place in 52 days look what it says verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, all of the nations around us were afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So they became afraid because they saw that God was at work. But notice, notice how our enemy works. Even though they became afraid because they saw that God was working, that didn't stop the work of the enemy to continue on. So we read in verses 17 through 19 about Tobiah. Tobiah continued to send these letters um, to the nobles. What's happening here is, remember back in Ezra how God came in and cleansed the intermarriage when, when Jerusalemites were, were marrying people who were not loyal to the Christian faith? They were marrying non-believers, and, and God used Ezra to clear out a lot of that. Well, this is the remnants of sin because Tobiah, this leader in another country, now he had alliances within Jerusalem through intermarriage. And those alliances were for his financial gain. Tobiah did not want Jerusalem cleansed of its sin. He didn't want those things to happen. And so he kept sending letters to the nobles, the the power brokers in Jerusalem, and undoubtedly saying, hey, this Nehemiah, he's got... He's got nefarious reasons why he's doing this. Don't trust him. And the deception goes on. I don't think any of us likely have experienced this degree of intimidation, this degree of fear, fear from every angle. I mean, if you, there are five different ways that fear is being leveled at Nehemiah here. How, how does this guy stand? See, these enemies, again, they knew the gripping foul, power of fear. If, if they could just neutralize Nehemiah, they would be able to take him out. So here's where we're going to turn and start thinking about, okay, what, what do we do with fear? How, how do we see Nehemiah responding to fear? And, and how can that be instructive to our hearts today as we relate to fear? Because we may not be having letters sent out in public about us today, right now, accusing us of false things. We may not have that, but, but we certainly encounter fear at times in the work of the Lord, don't we? Sometimes when you're, you're sharing the faith that God has granted into your heart, there can be moments when you're like, oh, I just wimped out and I didn't, I didn't speak the truth. And, and sometimes we encounter fear in other ways, when people intimidate us, when people mock us. I remember one time in high school I was trying to be a faithful witness and this kid was just mocking me. One time when all of uh, friends were gathered around, there's was just this, this mockery made. It intimidated me. As a kid, I, I shifted into neutral. I didn't like the heat. I think we can all relate to that. How do we fight fear? Because, friends, fear comes to us all. When we're doing God's work and opposition rises, fear can come to us all. We fight fear, friends, by faith. We fight fear by turning to God in humble prayer. So that's the first thing I want you to see. Look at verse 9. I mean, the, the waves of fear are upon Nehemiah. He's been sent this letter four times, then the fifth one with this open letter. What does he do in verse 9? he says, for they, they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. And, and this, this small but huge prayer at the end. But, God, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands see what is what is Nehemiah doing in that small but powerful prayer he's saying lord i don't have the power in and of myself i don't have the power or the strength to do this i am afraid we don't see him say that but we know that Nehemiah wasn't some superhuman we know that he was pervious he could be penetra- i mean he, he was not so strong that he just Bold in faith, he says, no, it's possible, Lord, that my hands might shrink back from the work that you've called me to do. So, oh my God, strengthen my hands. And see, when fear comes into our lives, that's a great prayer to pray. Lord, I don't have the ability to do this. Strengthen my hands. My, my strength is, is failing. Some of you in here have been praying for longer than since I stepped foot in this church in 2004. Some of you have been praying for years and years and years for something very good. You've been working toward something very good. Maybe sharing your faith with a family member who has yet to bow their knee to Christ. Maybe laboring, doing God's work in other ways. And to this day, after years of prayer... You still do not see the very thing that you've been asking for. And what you're asking for is not a new car in the driveway. You're asking for something really good. Something that will add to the kingdom of God. I was so helped by this prayer this week. God, strengthen my hands. When I'm weak, Lord, strengthen my hands. I can't do it. There's too much impossibility all around. Again, let's just go back to chapter 4 for a moment. Remember, they were seeing all of the rubble of the wall. They were seeing all the burned stones. And, and and the people grew weary of the work. And what did Nehemiah, this godly leader that God had sent to them for this for such a time as this, what did he say when they were discouraged and their hands were drooping from the work? He said, don't be afraid of your enemies. Remember the great and awesome Lord. And he called their mind together to remember God. And so when we go to God in humble prayer, when we acknowledge our weakness, there is great strength in that. You know, it it takes strength to acknowledge our weakness, doesn't it? It takes real strength to do this. I was reminded of this recently in a story. You may be familiar with this story uh, about weakness um, at Buckingham Palace back in the early 1980s. So the story goes, if I understand it correctly, that a a dude named Michael Fagan, just a common Englishman, broke into the Buckingham Palace one night when he was drunk. He said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my way into the palace," and he found a way to get in through through one of the the maids' doors. Um, the, their window was open. Excuse me, their window. Their window was open. He went in. The maid was in there. One of the handmaids, to the servants in uh, the king king's court, queen's court, and uh, she ran off to get help. And so he said, well, I'm not going to stay here, they can then, then they'll catch me. He went and perused the, the stamp collection of the, the king and queen. He drank a half a bottle of wine uh, while he waited to be arrested because he figured that he would be arrested. Interesting story. Um, I won't bore you with all the details. But he, he was drinking wine, waited, waiting to be arrested inside Buckingham Palace. And he said, well, I'm bored. I'm going to go home. So he left. And he he scooted out somehow. He got out of the building and he went back to his house. Well, sure enough, you know, the crown heard about this. They knew that someone had been in. Here's the thing. They didn't take any measures to prevent it again. So in July of the same year, guess what happened again? Michael Fagan said, I'm going to talk to the queen. Do you know this story? He goes in. He climbs up the same way, gets in the same window, goes and goes in the queen's chamber as she is sleeping and wakes her up, sits on on her bed, and has a conversation with the queen. Well, she is unbelievably scared. Here's the point of the story. Now, she's okay. Uh, He gets arrested. You know, the queen is fine. This thing could have turned out disastrous. Here's the point. Acknowledging weakness is actually a sign of strength. Acknowledging our inability before God to do what he's called us to do in our own ability, in our own strength, is actually strength in and of itself. And that's precisely what Nehemiah does here. He says, Lord, um, you know, I, I could be affected by these threats. Lord, strengthen my hands. I can't do this work on my own. Lord, strengthen my hands. You may be faced in doing God's work with opposition that rises. What is a right and good prayer, a humble prayer to say, Lord, strengthen my hands. These fears come and they're gripping me. Lord, strengthen my hands. See, we're all tempted to fear. Every one of us in this room, we all have fears that come and bombard our hearts. They, Our fears can come, can they not? Like unwelcome guests. We don't want fears. They just come and... And make their seat on our bed and they talk to us. And friends, we need to listen to our hearts before the Lord and and speak to those fears. And we do that by humbling, acknowledging, Lord, I, I need you. Strengthen my hands. See, more than 365 times in the pages of Scripture does God say, fear not. Fear not. See, he doesn't want us to walk in that kind of fear. In fact, um, Timothy was receiving instruction from his father in the faith, Paul. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to try and encourage him. He was growing a bit weary in the work of pastoral responsibility. And he said this. Paul's saying this to Timothy. For God gave us a spirit. Look what it says. Not of fear. This is what God does when He gives us, makes us to be born again. He gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, when we believe the gospel and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart, he gives us, takes out the heart of stone, and he puts in its place a heart of flesh that now believes God. And he didn't give us a heart for fear. Instead, he gave us a heart. That we may be able to walk in power and love and self-control. And God is merciful that when we do fall into fear, do you know what he does? He comes alongside of us by his Holy Spirit. And he says, hey, cast your anxieties on me for I I care for you. He understands our weakness. He understands that there are times when we are gripped by fear. And he comes alongside of us. And he helps us to say, Lord, strengthen my hands. I'm weak right now. Strengthen my hands. There's there's fears coming at me from many different directions. Lord, strengthen my hands. See, we fight fear by faith in the Lord. We fight fear by saying, Lord, I don't have the strength to do this. And so we look And cast our gaze to Christ. It may be fear of the unknown. It may be fear of the future. Lord, are you going to care for me? Are you going to provide for me? Lord, I'd I'd love to be in a situation where I'm comfortable. Lord, I'm wondering, are you going to remember me? We fight fear with faith by humbly saying, Lord, strengthen my hands. I just want to encourage you this morning. Dear friends, dear church, we all have fears. We all do. They may not come like they're coming at Nehemiah, fast and furious. But how we respond to those fears, God has granted us the ability by his power to say, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to say, Lord, I can't do this. Strengthen my hands. So I I want to press you, lovingly press you to apply that now to a situation that does cause fear in your heart. I don't know what that situation might be. The Lord knows. But where there is the presence of fear in your heart, I believe the Lord through this passage is giving you an opportunity and me, an opportunity to say, Lord, I humble myself. I acknowledge my weakness. Lord, strengthen my hands. He said that and led Nehemiah to that and he's leading us to do the same thing this morning. The second thing I see here is remember, and I hope you are very encouraged by this, because I was. Not only do we go to God in the fight of faith, not only do we go to God in humble, trusting prayer, we remember that God's power is at work, even in our weakness. We remember that God's power is at work, even in our weakness. Now you may say, that's great, Jeremy. Where do you get that from this passage? Well, look with me again at verse 16. It says, When all our enemies heard of it, the completion of the wall, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem for... Here's where I want to focus on. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So they perceived, even the enemies could see that what happened at building the wall it was not really humanly possible to get it done in that short amount of time. They're like, "There's no way that this wall could have been built apart from the help of God." Do you see? They they remembered that that God's power was at work in them. Now again, what what are the people of Israel as they're laboring on that wall, as those masons are putting stone upon stone? What are they thinking about? It's like this job is impossible. Their hands drooped at the work time after time. But in reality, what was happening is that God was building the wall and that he helped the wall be built. It wasn't just the strength of those masons and and cement mixers. It was God helping them all. Do you see how this can be encouraging for us today? Because sometimes in our own lives, we see things when when fear grips us or when the work before us seems insurmountable while we trust in the Lord. He's the one that does the work, right? He's the one that builds the wall. He's the one that builds the kingdom because this work is accomplished by God, not by human hands. Now, God uses each one of us to do his work, yes. I pray that on Friday, this Friday, and I just want to, you know, encourage you uh, to come out and participate on the third Fridays of the month. You know, this Friday, as a table is set up, as there's stuff and candy on the table, and as, as our church interacts with the community, do you know what we're praying? Lord, would you help people to see the hope of Jesus Christ People right now who are living in fear, living in fear even of death, Lord, would you would you hope help people to have the hope of the gospel? That happens um, as we go, but are we the ones that that ultimately provide that hope no it 's God alone. God uses us, He uses our going as we trust in Him. See, God had done the work in building the wall somehow i don 't know how it all works out, but Their enemies even perceive that, wow, this is amazing. God did that. Sometimes, let's be honest, our hands grow weary. Even in our church, Grace Community Church, next year is our 25th year. We've experienced our share of setbacks and hardships difficulties, departures. There have been times where it can be discouraging, right? Because we want to build for the glory of God and for the the expansion of the kingdom of God. There have been days that have been hard. And yet, oh, I wish everyone could have been at the men's breakfast yesterday morning because I thought the roof was going to lift off that place when we were singing and rejoicing in the Lord as we heard a, a powerful message about our pursuit of the Lord as, as the sons of God, it, it, was, it was wonderful to be together. See, God's power was on display. And so even in spite of the challenges that we experience, even in spite of past times when, when there may have been discouragement, God is building his church by the power of God, not by any man or woman. God is building his church by his power. And even enemies will be able to see it. Like, wow, what's happening there? I don't know. But it's by the power of God that that's going forward. See, it's not in our strength. It's not in our might. It's by the might of the power of the living God who said this. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I'm going to build my church. And you see, they need to be reminded, those wall builders, they need to be reminded of that. And so do we. So do we. At the meeting in just a few minutes, we're going to show pictures of a proposed church building um, to be built upon our church property, just a few a mile down the road. Um, this is just a draft. Um, it's just a proposal that we're sending out to three construction companies so that they can give us an idea of what something like that would be uh, costing to build. We're just simply taking the next step. And I hope you can all stay. Uh, we have printouts for people we want to show you on the big screen what this potentially could look like. But you know what? We're just taking the next step and saying, Lord, is this something that you would have us do? Is this Is this what what further gospel ministry, a building of our own, might that enable us to, to be positioned for greater ministry for the kingdom? So we're taking the next step. We're expressing faith as a church body and saying, yep, we believe the Lord has this. Uh, we're not sure of all, the, all things, but we're going to just take the next step. Oh God, strengthen our hands. Oh, God, you build the church. You build it. Not upon the strength of any one person. God builds his church. Their enemies could tell that God had done this. And when we remember that, dear friends, oh, we're strengthened as well. I want to call the worship team back on the stage. And I want to now prepare our hearts to sing our, our closing song. When, when God is at work, dear friends, when God is building His church, there are amazing things that happen. It doesn't mean there won't be moments of discouragement and moments of challenge. It doesn't mean that, that when God's building His church, everything will just go smoothly. No, in fact, this testimony says just the opposite. There will be opposition to God's work. But as God's people together, together, Put their eyes on the Lord and remember something about him. Remember the gospel. They remember that God is faithful and he will do what he has said he will do. Hear hear this promise from the pen of Paul in Romans. Listen here. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously Give us all things. What, what Paul is saying is, if you believe that God has, has loved you to the degree that he sacrificed his own son on the cross of Christ, if he allowed Jesus to be killed and buried for your sins and mine by faith, if God raised him up in power so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven by faith, if God loved us that much, do you think he's not going to love us into the days to come? He's saying, do you, do you think that he will not also with him graciously give us all things? Sometimes we lose sight of that. Things can happen and come into our lives that grip us with amazing fear. And can fear can drive us. It can dictate our decisions. It can shrink us back from all kinds of things. But when we keep our eyes on the Lord, when we say to him, Lord, strengthen my hands. I don't have the strength. Strengthen them. And when we remember that even when we don't hold fast to him, he holds fast to us, then we have courage. Then we can stand despite what comes because our eyes are on our Lord and we know that he's going to be faithful. So once again, let me just call you to a place of faith this morning. Where's that place in your heart where you would say, yep, yeah, I can get gripped by fear in this way. And would you reach your hands out to the Lord this morning and in prayer and say lord strengthen my hands i can't do it i don't have the ability i need you I believe the lord wants to encourage you this morning he wants to strengthen your hands today for his work for the building of his kingdom as we go and seek to be a light in our community as you've watched God build his church, he's inviting you now. Lord, strengthen my hands. Father, we pray this morning as we reflect on these things together, Lord, we acknowledge our own weakness. We acknowledge that there are things that come to us that intimidate us or f- cause fear to rise in our hearts. And Lord, we're so grateful that when fear rises, you don't don't condemn us, but you invite us in that moment to come to you because your perfect love casts out all fear and you invite us once again to trust you. And I pray for my heart and the heart of everyone in this room that in those locations, those places where we are tempted to yield ourselves to fear, Lord, that you would give us the ability to trust you freshly once again. Because if you gave us Jesus, if you sent him into the world to to be sacrificed for our sins, Lord, you're also going to carry us all the way home. You're going to provide for our needs. You're going to minister your grace. and So we receive that grace again this morning with glad hearts. And we say, Lord, oh, strengthen Our hands. Our hands are weak, Lord. Strengthen our hands that we might walk by faith. We ask this and we pray this together as your people, entrusting our lives to the God who is in charge of all things. He is the first and the last the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Lord, you know how you're going to carry us. We just sometimes can't see it. So this morning, Lord, strengthen our hands. We give them to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.